The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Strategies to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Who is the most famous musician you've never heard of? Well, he's somebody who played with Jimi Hendrix. He was friendly with George Harrison, Paul McCartney, guys that you can't imagine. He was the music director with Little Richard, Chuck Berry. I mean, this guy's been around the block. Let's welcome to the show, Andy Kahn. Andy, how are you? I'm great, Joel. Thank you so much for having me on. This is going yeah, to be great. You're, you know, you are one of the most interesting people uh, that anybody could ever meet because you have such interesting friends. I mean, you're an interesting person, but you also have just been blessed uh, to be connected to such cool, cool uh, people who've shaped our our whole music experience. Many of us, since we were youngsters, absolutely. I was extremely fortunate at a young age to meet uh, some incredible uh, icons in well, the so music so world. So you're not just a guy who knows people. I mean, you actually are part of a legendary band yourself. Uh, why don't you just give us a little background? Tell us, uh, you know, uh, about your musical history. And, you know, I mean, you were the keyboard uh, player for the Turtles, uh, and they produced yes. extraordinary material in the 60s and 70s. So just give us a little update. Well, I, I joined the Turtles in 1973 when we met at Cherokee Studios in Box Canyon. At that time, it was just a four-track studio, and uh, Mark Vollman and Howard Kalin were looking for a keyboard player, and I was there overdubbing uh, some keyboards uh, for Richard Nader's Let the Good Times Roll movie uh, featuring Little Richard. And uh, so Mark and Howard uh, of the Turtles said, uh, we need a keyboard player. And I said, well, I'm available. And it just happened. And um, ever since 1973, I've been uh, uh, recording and, uh, you know, touring with the Turtles and doing television and uh, concerts. And so it's just been a uh, wonderful career. Just in case some of our uh, listeners are a little younger and they don't remember who the Turtles are. Can you give us a little musical rendition and uh, and remind us uh, some of their some of their big hits because you had you guys had a lot of them. Yes, uh, one of their biggest hit was "Happy Together." Imagine me and you, I do. I think about you day and night. It's only right to think about the girl you love and hold her tight. 
so happy together. Which was used in several dozen motion pictures and television commercials. Uh, very uh, one of the uh, top 100 songs of all times. Wow. Uh, a great song. And they had uh, 10 top 10 hits. Um, you Showed Me was uh, one of their hits. be with me some girls love to run around love to handle everything they see but my girl has more fun around and you know she'd rather be with me eleanor you gotta think about you they had a lot of hits and did a lot of touring, and they also uh, joined up with Frank Zappa in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. So uh, they, they uh, really uh, opened up my world for meeting incredible icons in the industry. Well, these were really accomplished people, and, and uh, you, know, you shaped the, um, you know, the, the childhood, the teenage years of, of an awful lot of people, uh, my generation and even, even our folks you know, some of the stuff that you did. So, so you joined this band and you were part of their organization for quite a long time. And, and yes, how, what were some of the big things that happened to you when you join a band that be, that's world famous? Uh, you know, you become part of the legacy of that band. What, what kinds of things happened to you in your personal life? Oh my goodness. Every uh, famous recording artist from the sixties that I grew up listening to, uh, I got to meet and uh, either uh, just, you know, hang out with or actually record with. So through the Turtles, uh, they had a K-Rock radio show in New York uh, right after Howard Stern. And there was a big event at Universal City Studios where all these famous uh, recording artists would come and inter be interviewed on the air on the Flo and Eddie show. And one of them was Harry Nielsen. And uh, that uh, was totally amazing. My job was to drive a limo and pick up each celebrity, bring him to the uh, tent where they had the live broadcast, and then uh, we would uh, play the, one of their hits, and then we'd also play uh, Happy Together. I have my keyboard there at the, uh, you know, at the tent where they had the radio broadcast. So uh, I became really good friends with Harry and uh, recorded 35 songs with him in my home studio. Uh, and uh, through Harry, of course, I met Jimmy Webb and uh, Ringo Starr and uh, just uh, a bunch of Timothy Leary, uh, <laughs> Joe Walsh. Uh, just uh, I could name drop forever uh, all the amazing people that I met through Harry. And of course, uh, all the amazing people I met through the Turtles. We we opened up for the Jefferson Starship, so uh, Grace Slick and I would hang out every night. We'd go back to her room and laugh and talk and tell jokes and tell great road stories. And then uh, we also opened up for Stephen Stills. And so, you know, hanging out with him and playing backgammon and 
jamming at a Holiday Inn. <laughs> give us, give so us all kinds sense. of great stories. Give us a sense about uh, you know what it was like being on tour. You know what was what was the treatment like? I mean, how were you guys treated? I mean, you guys were musical royalty, really, and you know the people you're talking about, musical royalty. What was the uh, what was the environment like? You know that you were that you were in. I mean, was it uh, did they treat you very very well, or you know what what do you remember about that? Well, there were some times where you weren't treated well, where they didn't have their act together. And, but most most of the time, uh, we were uh, treated as royalty. And uh, the only uh, difficult part of touring is that uh, you're in a uh, airplane, a taxi cab, uh, a hotel room, and a stage, and that's it. And that's your whole life. You don't really get to see everything else that's going on. But uh, we really had a, a an incredible. Um, time just touring and uh, doing great shows with a lot of fantastic acts. It, it was really a, a great feeling. I mean, we were really treated pretty good, pretty darn good. Did you have some favorite venues? I mean, you must have toured and gone to a lot of venues across the country. Yes. One of my favorites is really great. In 1989, Flo and Eddie, the two lead singers of the Turtles, uh, were uh, asked to do the national anthem uh, for the Vikings and the Rams football game in Anaheim. And uh, so it was just myself on the keyboard and Flo and Eddie in the middle of the football field singing the national anthem. And that was really amazing because every time I would play a note on the keyboard, it, it would take three seconds for the sound to reverberate around the stadium of 75,000 people and come back to, to me. So, you know, I'm hitting the opening notes and uh, it's not in synchronization. It's out of sync. So uh, it was really kind of difficult, but it was amazing just playing uh, the national anthem and having 75,000 people cheering, you know, when we were done. It, that was quite a thrill. Didn't they have back in the 80s, uh, you know, like the, the headsets like they have now, you know, where the musicians wear something so they don't get that echo? They they put something in their ear so they, they can keep track of what's going on? Yes. Yeah. You can wear little head headsets or little uh, earplugs. Sure. But we, we didn't do that. Yeah. We were just in the middle of the field and they gave us one monitor just to hear our vocal. Uh, so... Uh, we we were able to hear ourselves immediately on the field, but the echo of the stadium was much louder than we were on the field. So, uh, you know, oh, say, can you see? And then three seconds later, it comes back at you. Wow. <laughs> it was so what, uh, tell it, give us another one. Where's an, where was another great venue that you had fun at? Just to give you a contrast, we did a tour in Australia. Uh, with the turtles and uh, our opening gig was in a city called Toowoomba and which was way out in the sticks out of the, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And we had our sound check and there were nine people in the crew, you know, doing the sound and lights and stage. And then we went back to the hotel, had a bite to eat and came back to the venue to play the concert 
and the same nine people were there. Nobody showed up for the concert. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's, but uh, right after that, we played Sydney and Melbourne and Perth and Adelaide and all these great cities in Australia. And they were all sold out. Uh, we would uh, open up for Lou Reed, which was really great. We all stayed in the same hotel and, uh, uh, he was amazing. I mean, it's just like uh, all these amazing people that I got to meet was uh, really the highlight of it all. Just Tell hanging me. out with. You know, listen, I've I've met uh, quite a lot of celebrities. I've had many celebrities, actors, movie stars, politicians as clients, uh, investors in my funds and different things. What did you find most interesting about many of these people? Without without you know necessarily saying anything that's compromising. Uh, you know, what What did you find fascinating or interesting or unique about dealing with these kind of people? They had a uh, aura, an energy that was very powerful. When I recorded with Jimi Hendrix, I felt him walk in the studio before I actually visibly looked at him. I actually felt his energy. Uh, same thing with Little Richard. His energy was so powerful. You know, there, it's just a magic uh, that these uh, performers have. Uh, you can actually feel them. You know, it's not like a normal person that you just sit and talk with. When you actually talk to Paul McCartney or George Harrison or Ringo Starr, you really feel this uh, amazing uh, energy that comes out of them. That's one thing I really knows noticed you know, about. Well, let's uh, let's talk let's let's talk about that for a second. Do you think sure. that, they, that they had the energy before, and that's what helped them become successful, or do you think that energy evolved after they had become successful? No, I think they were born with it. I do believe that uh, it was built into their DNA, and that's how they became what they became. You know. Well, uh, well let's say that. Uh, let's say you're not born with that. I mean, does that mean you can't be successful? I mean, how does somebody develop that aura? Is it possible? Well, that's it is possible because my story, uh, when I was 12 and 13 years old, I was making monster movies with all my neighborhood friends. I was like a little Steven Spielberg making Frankenstein and Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and Revenge from Planet 4 and all these movies. And then all of a sudden... Uh, um, the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan and I, my life changed overnight. I wanted to become a Beatle. I wanted to become a musician. So my story is I, I, I was a, a fan of music and the Beatles, but I taught myself how to play and write music because of the Beatles. It's just, uh, uh, it was a teaching process. So, so do you, that was do you the, feel like, do you feel like you developed a similar aura? I mean, because I've 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 had lunch with you. I think you you radiate positivity, and you just you know you're excited about your life. You're excited about your experiences. I mean, is that just the nature of who you are? Yeah, I guess uh, I'm a chameleon. Uh, I pick up the energy, and uh, and it does exist. And uh, you know, when you're in the studio with Ringo or uh, Harry Nielsen or Eric Carmen. It's amazing. You just get so creative and it's actually fun. That's the biggest word is fun. <laughs> because uh, if you're not having fun, you're not going to be creative. 
But, well, and uh, I'll tell you what, those kind of people probably can't tolerate being around people who bring everybody else down. I mean, they, they need people around them to bring them up. Absolutely. Yes, that is for sure. Yeah. Any negativity they avoid completely, but you do run into that a lot. There's promoters and managers and uh, the turtles went through about six different managers that all ripped them off. And uh, I had a record deal with uh, universal records and they ripped me off my management company. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> you got to be um, an incredible businessman besides being a talented musician. Uh, half the battle is the business. Let's talk about that a little bit, too. Do you notice that, uh, you know, the people that you've dealt with, are they uh, above average intelligence? I mean, would you say that they're normal intelligence, but in music, they're highly gifted? I mean, or do they kind of have those gifts across a spectrum of things? What's, what do you, what's your take on people? Well, as an example, Little Richard and Chuck Berry, uh, they both got royally ripped off by the uh, record companies and the management. Uh, the, the Turtles did too. Uh, but there are other groups. Uh, well, the Beatles did too, and so did the Rolling Stones. But um, I just do believe that you've got to have your act together with the business as much as the creativity or else you're just going to get burnt. And that, that's the very important is to understand the business of music. Uh, besides the creative aspect and, um, and entertaining and making people happy. My job as a musician is to make people happy. That's my job. <laughs> well, and you guys so, wrote a song about that. So that, that's, which is kind of fun, but you know, right. I mean, uh, I mean, I hate hearing stories that everybody gets ripped off. I mean, is that, um, is that a function of dishonest people? I mean, because there's a lot of safeguards that are built into the system. I mean, you have royalty companies, you have accountants, business managers. I mean, there's all these different people. Uh, and then there's attorneys that when things go wrong are standing by ready to sue to keep. So there's a lot of checks and balances built in the system. And I always wonder why, you know, why there's so much, uh, you know, uh, complaining about people getting ripped off. Are you, are they really getting ripped off or is there, maybe they don't understand the deal and, and they got less than they thought they should have, but they're, they're not really legally ripped off. Uh, yes. When you look at the old contracts that little Richard and Chuck Berry and the turtles and the Beatles, uh, if you read those, those contracts, you'll see that their royalties are really small. And uh, there's no guarantees. It's a, a different world. Uh, so uh, you've really got to uh, have trust, but greed is the enemy. These managers and... Here's what I'm hearing you say. They yeah. actually had a contract that just gave them very little, but nobody stole yes. it from them. Well, uh, the actual, uh, some of the money was literally held back and... Uh, not given to them, uh, even though there was a contract. Uh, uh, like Del Shannon with his hit record, Runaway, uh, he never got paid for that. He had a major number one hit, and uh, they they uh, sold millions of copies, and he didn't get paid. He uh, They just kept the money for themselves, and they didn't pay him. You know, so uh, it's, it's really... Not- 
it's not uncommon in, in the creative businesses, uh, that's authorship, book authorship, music, some of the other, you know, even filmmaking where, uh, you know, some big company comes along, puts up some money and then grabs the lion's share of everything in the future. In fact, maybe even more than the lion's share, maybe, maybe so much of it that nothing's left over for the artists. But, you know, they are taking risk and they're putting stuff up front. The best example that comes to mind for me is uh, the guys who did the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Uh, those two guys, one of them is a good friend of mine or a longtime friend of mine. And they didn't really make any money from their book. I mean, they, they, that book has sold more copies of any book than the, than the Bible. And they didn't really make any money from it. I know. It's pathetic. Well, it so really what they is. did, and these guys were really smart. What they did is they said, all right, look, so, uh, so you own the book, but they still own the name of the, of the, of the book series. And they launched into chicken soup, dog food, chicken soup, uh, you know, clothing line, baby things, you know, I mean, they made all these different uh, licensing arrangements. So they were able to, you know, utilize their intellectual property and they leverage it in a new way. So they really, either they got really good advice or, or they were really smart and they came up with a lot of stuff, but uh, the same thing happened to them, but they did figure out how to turn it around. And, and I, that was I would, good. Yeah, they, they, they ended up doing very well, and they sold their company recently for quite a substantial amount of money. Oh, that's wonderful. That's yeah, good but news. I, I hope that uh, musical people and entertainment people who are listening you know, would reach out uh, and talk to some business people that can help them leverage their assets. If you think about things in a very flat, two-dimensional way, then, uh, you know, music, 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 that's all I do. But that's not all you do, because maybe you can apply what you do to some other things. Maybe you can repurpose some of your assets to other things. And, you know, I mean, Andy, those are things you and I've talked about. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I guarantee you that the, the business is just as powerful as the um, creativity. And you have to have a, a really good balance and understanding of how it works. Uh, so, so you're safe. So you're not uh, in jeopardy of uh, losing. So that that's probably one of the most important things I would tell any uh, artist coming into the world. Uh, it, it's a different world today with digital and internet. I grew up with vinyl and um, hard copy, so you would literally have a record in your hand. But today, it's all download, and uh, there's really no way to keep track of that. <laughs> It's uh, all the trust of the digital download, how many units they download. Yeah. So, well, the, the legitimate players uh, like Spotify and iTunes, I mean, they, they, they're subject to a lot of scrutiny. And if they, uh, if they do something wrong because they're public companies, they would be in deep trouble. But, you know, right. so, so those are pretty good. But it's, you know, where you probably have a problem is where somebody downloads a copy, gives it to their friend, who gives it to three more friends. And those, those go under the radar. But, you know, in a, in a, well, in a funny yeah, way. Yeah, actually, YouTube uh, is the biggest enemy of all uh, people trying to earn money because you can Google any song you want right now on YouTube and you will hear it for free. It's unbelievable. You can uh, speak any Beatles song or Rolling Stones or Little Richard or any band that you can think of, and uh, YouTube will play it for you, which is uh, not a good thing. Huh. Because you don't get paid. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
the world the world has certainly changed and uh, and it requires yeah. a lot of creativity and, and you have to understand uh, the world in order to you know monetize your assets in this new environment so you know the way the royalty system evolved you know you you did a lot of work uh, and you created entertainment you know you made an enter- entertaining experience for me so for me to have that entertainment I need to pay a little bit uh, you don't get all of it you get some of it but if 50 years later I'm still getting entertained, I should still be paying and you should still be getting paid. And that's kind of the exactly. system, but it's not working just right. Yeah. Uh, a very interesting story is that Apple records, the Beatles record company used the Apple logo. And uh, when uh, the uh, Macintosh Apple computer came out, they also used the Apple logo and the Beatles told them, they're only allowed to use it for computers, not for music. And then all of a sudden iTunes comes out and all this music stuff. So the Beatles literally sued Apple and won. So uh, anything that comes out on iTunes, the Beatles get a royalty, uh, a piece of the action because they're using the Apple logo and uh, Apple. You know, so that's a great story well, listen, of that, business right there. That, that right there tells you why you need to have some good attorneys on your team. <laughs> I mean, that I mean, is very important. That didn't happen because the Beatles were great musicians. That happened because there was a lot of legal wrangling uh, that took place yes. behind the scenes. That That's a great story. So, yeah, so well, they get a piece I, I of you everything. Have, yeah, I guess you have to get burnt first to protect yourself in the future and go, I'm not going to get burnt again. I'm going to make sure that I'm getting a fair deal, you know? So that's literally what happened. Uh, as an example, Chuck Berry would refuse to go on stage until he had all the cash from the box office in his pocket. He wouldn't even go on stage until he got all the money in his pocket. Then he would go on stage. Well, you, that's well, how you bad know, you it was that the hard way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I guarantee there was there was a time or two he didn't get what he was supposed to get in that. Uh, oh yeah, you know, and that that creates those uh, kind of business rules where where you, you do what you got to do. So tell us about somebody else who was a, who was one of the most fascinating people you ever met. Well, it was uh, uh, Harry Nielsen, who was uh, completely amazing. Uh, he was. Uh, uh, very compassionate, very funny, very intelligent, and uh, very creative. And uh, he knew everybody, and everybody knew him. It was it was amazing. Just uh, one quick story with Harry. Uh, we'd go out uh, and drive around. Uh, we'd hang out like a bunch of high school kids, just sitting in, in his car and, and playing uh, his music and singing along with it. And uh, one of our uh, visits was... Uh, to Timothy Leary's house. And uh, that was totally, completely amazing. Uh, it, you know, he knocks on the door and Timothy answers the door and, and uh, grabs Harry by his cheeks on his face and gives him a big kiss. And uh, Harry says, this is my friend Andy. And Timothy grabs me and, and gives me a big kiss. And we come into his house and there's a gigantic Gumby about eight feet tall right there when you walk into his uh, you know, hallway and uh, you go into his kitchen and there's a big rainbow table. I mean, this is Timothy Leary. Tune in, turn on and drop out. I mean, unbelievable uh, icons. 
that uh, I was able to meet. I know that you've got a pretty substantial collection of memorabilia, pictures. Of course, you couldn't take some oh. those days, but you've got a lot of stuff. Tell us about some of the memorabilia that you've got. Well, uh, I was very, very fortunate uh, at um, 15 and 16 and 17 years old. I started my own band and I booked my own gigs at Yale College and all these great uh, uh, universities and uh, uh, yacht clubs on the East Coast, and uh, I, I built up a, a really interesting uh, a collection of photographs and uh, recordings and contracts and uh, uh, posters and letters. So literally since the early 60s, I saved everything. And uh, that made it really, really easy for me to build my book, because uh, like we all know, a picture has a thousand words. So you're looking at all these photographs from your past with all these celebrities and uh, things that happened to you. And uh, it made it, you know, uh, really easy to, uh, to build this book that I just finished. Well, so let's, so let's talk about that book because, you know, you have the kind of memorabilia people, you know, who grew up in the sixties, seventies, and maybe before and a little after would probably really like to get their hands on pictures of, of all kinds of people, maybe pictures of contracts, signatures. What, what exactly do you have? And then we'll talk about how you organized it. Well, you know, when I worked with Little Richard, I, uh, we, you know, we had a contract and there's his signature, Little Richard. And I worked with uh, uh, Dr. John the Night Tripper, Mac Rabinac, and we did toured and I got his signature and uh, Ringo's signature and uh, Harry Nielsen's signature. It's just all these great things, memories that are, I have documented. So, so you have uh, a really, library of, of pictures, contracts, signatures, all kinds of stuff, and you're compiling all of this into a new book. Is that right? Y- yes, that's correct. It's it was 327 pages, but uh, I edited it to 200 pages, and uh, uh, it's mostly a lot of photos and then tons of stories that go along with it. So it's really an interesting read. Is this going to be a coffee table quality book? Yes, it is. I was originally uh, designing it as a 12 by 12 book, uh, but that is extremely expensive. So I, I just changed the size to like a 8 by 10 uh, or, you know, 8, eight and a, to close to that size. So it's a little bit less expensive to manufacture. Yeah, which which makes it probably more available to more people. But it sounds exactly, like it's, yeah. it'll be an extraordinary book. And um, and you told me you're doing a Kickstarter on this book, right? Yes, I am. I, I just uh, uh, got that going and I'm waiting for approval uh, to keep on going. Um, we'll publish the, uh, the address and the information in the show notes. But... Uh, do you, you know, I, I know also, uh, you know, you are, um, you do gigs for hire. You must be an awful lot of fun to bring to a party. Oh, I, I have an excellent track record um, uh, with uh, parties because I play all the songs that everybody loves to hear. And uh, everybody's always singing at the top of their lungs and uh, the, the tip jar is overflowing. <laughs> well, listen, nothing, so nothing it's always that, a lot but... of fun. Hey, listen, uh, you know, in our yeah. society, uh, money is the way people say thank you. So it's, it's perfect. So, well, listen, Andy, thank you very much for, uh, for sharing and, you know, contributing. 
very fascinating. Good luck with your Kickstarter. And if anybody wants to get a hold of you, uh, we'll publish some contact information if, uh, you know, if there is some. And uh, we'll put it in the show notes. And if anybody wants to get a hold of you, we'll make that possible. Sound all right? Yes, I'm really easy to find on Facebook. Uh, okay. If, uh, yeah. As the spelling of my last name is C-A-H-A-N. People will be able to find you. And listen, I, I really appreciate you being on the show, and thank you very much for uh, for joining us. Oh, Joel, I, I, I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. It's great. Thank you. Okay. Well, listen, uh, just it was a great time to talk. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Strategies to give your business the inside track. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.